The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, good Sunday, everyone. Hope that y'all are staying safe out there. Obviously, it's going to be a little different tenor to these pods for a while, but we are going to keep going, doing it once a week uh, on Sunday nights. So hope that you will continue to join us uh, during these times, uh, and to the extent you can, uh, continue to support us uh, and also uh, The Athletic, theathletic.com slash PER, who, uh, uh, who are going to be doing some good writing while – the leagues are on hiatus. There's still going to be plenty of stuff to talk about. So, uh, hope that you guys can continue to support sports journalism, obviously, to the extent you can. I know you have a lot of disruptions in your own lives uh, as well. But, uh, and at the end of this, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about just what, uh, some of the things that you can do just overall to help out with the COVID 19 crisis in your life. But I know you're not listening to this, uh, probably to, hear about that we want to at least be a little bit of an escape and so i think what we want to focus on here is at some point this is going to be over it may not seem like it now and so what are we going to do what is the nba going to do when the crisis has ended and so john has has written a lot about that this week and wanted to first ask you john uh, number one how you guys are holding up right now yeah i mean we're in a we're in a brave new world here obviously but we're we're doing all right down here, so uh, uh, you know, just trying to socially distance and wash our hands and and do all the do all the right things. So, uh, well, the the world misses you being out in public, but I know I know it's for <laughs> for the greater good right now. Um, so this is the way I wanted to frame this. Let's just start with this. I mean, there are a lot of practical realities about restarting the season, which we'll get to. But I wanted to just start first, fantasy land. You've got carte blanche. The NBA season restarts. You know, we'll obviously have to talk about when we think that's going to be, but the NBA season restarts, uh, you know, whether it's June, July, August, September, maybe even as early as May. But how are we going to do it? So, what I want to start with is assume there's going to be a playoffs. How are we mm-hmm. going to figure out who's in the playoffs? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and do you just start with the playoffs or do you just start with the regular season first? I think one of the biggest questions that the league will face is basically 16 or 30, right? When they restart, are they going to, are they going to tell 14 teams like, you know what? It's not even worth it to have you like do all this just to play six games and then head to the summer. Um, because whatever they come back for, like they're not going to play out the remaining 19 games of the schedule, right? Like that's, that's, that does seem unlikely. Yeah. So the question becomes, is it, it almost is it even worth the trouble to bring those teams back for a smaller number of games uh that may be dictated somewhat by financial considerations but th- i think the other thing you have to be realistic about here is that when they do come back if it's empty arenas they probably can come back much much sooner and that's yeah. going to be a major factor in their decision making and so for that reason i i 
I do expect, the more I've thought about this, uh, even since I wrote about it at the end of last week, I mean, this is just the situation has developed so much in the just a couple of days that it's it seems to me that it would be a very long time before you could get approval by all the necessary authorities and all the necessary jurisdictions to uh, which includes not even our own country, but Canada to have home games with 20,000 fans in all 30 venues. Right. So yeah. immediately you're you're looking at something different, whether that's playing in their home arenas with uh, with with no crowds, or it may be taking everybody to one place. You, may, I mean, there are arguments for doing that. You can get in a lot more games more quickly. Um, you can probably reduce some of the uh, the risk associated with with travel and whatnot. Um, and you can select your destination in such a way that uh, it would hopefully be minimally impactful to a the larger community wherever you go to but also uh to the players and coaches themselves that if you're someplace where it's not that prevalent in the population at that point you know i i was said in the intro like oh you know let's just try to make this uh fantasy land let's try to detach from the news but obviously that's not really gonna be possible now that i think about it. i mean because because honestly what this takes is some prediction over what it's what the world is going to be like what it's going to take to end this crisis what the prerequisites are for it to be safe number one to resume nba games Mm -hmm. and number two to just resume normal life at all i mean i think to even resume nba games what would have to happen in your mind for for it to be, I mean, obviously we're not, you know, public health experts or not epidemiologists, yeah. but I mean, we, we've been following this a lot. We know, I think, pretty well what the risks of this disease are and what some of the transmissibility is and the fact that you could be asymptomatic and still transmit the disease, um, all that stuff. So given all of that, I mean, for them to just start playing again in empty arenas, like what do you think the prerequisites for that? I think, I think two things would need to happen. One bending back the curve. So so in other words, there needs to be some indication that this is actually under control. Um, yeah. That being just for, to play in empty arenas. Yeah. Yeah. And the second thing, uh, widespread testing. Yeah. So that, um, you know, if you, if you were able to test regularly or be able to test, test the players and know that, sort of everyone is clean and then everybody is stayed clean for two weeks, then you could probably start playing. Right. But in in the absence of those two things, it's, it's going to be really hard to, to restart you, you well, ra- yeah. on a, on a sunnier note, you, you raise an interesting point that this situation is so unique that it almost gives the league carte blanche to try literally anything. And it yeah. could lead well, to well some the league very, and the players union, yes. I, you know, in agreement. But yeah, it could lead to some very productive experimentation. Sure. Most obviously, in terms of the play-in tournament. Yeah. Well. Well. Here, let's uh, let, let's table that for just a second here to just talk about like what what would need to happen for them to even start first. But I, I think I agree with you. Like you basically number one, there would have to be widespread enough testing, and also obviously you know, to the point where you're not taking tests away from people who need it. Right. I mean, that's, that's yeah. going to be, you know, people who actually are symptomatic 
uh, you know, NBA players just who aren't showing any symptoms, like, shouldn't be getting yeah. tested until we Re- have enough testing kits for everyone. That's, Restarting that's the NBA comes second to a public health crisis, right? I mean, that's yeah. clear yeah. and obvious. Yeah. Yeah. So, so pres- presumably, you know, a month or two, maybe we have enough testing for everyone that needs to be. I mean, I think at some point, just to have everyone in the entire country tested would be a really good idea. But, uh, that's that's just my thought. I, I don't know what uh, public health people think of that, but just just so people can know what their status is and make informed decisions. But so let's say you're able to test everyone in the NBA, right? So, I mean, the, the realistically that couldn't happen for at least a month and a half, two months at the earliest, I would think, right? You would so you would think. I mean, we're not yeah. we're not experts in this field, but ra- yeah. ramping up the testing capability has has seemed to be going slowly, certainly. Um, and so. Then you also have the issue that it's not like, like, okay, you can tell players to self-quarantine, but can you tell the people in their houses to self-quarantine? A lot of these people have, you know, family that's all around. I'm sure players are going to want to spend time with family, spend time with friends. You don't know what they're doing. So at any time, I mean, you really, okay, you've got a negative on the entire NBA, right? I mean, and you can hope that you you got at least all the players tested. Now there's also the traveling party too, right? It was 58 people in the jazz traveling party. I would imagine if they start, if they restart games, they would try to really knock that down to essentially just like coaches and players. You know I mean? I think you, I mean, to the you extent still you have, can. I mean, just, for, just from having been on the, I mean, you have, you know, you got the trainers, trainers yeah. you got the strength coach, you got um, the equipment yeah. manager, you got, I mean. Well, so, so you might have to just find a way to not bring the strength coach. You know, I mean, like, like maybe he can't go. Maybe mm-hmm. you're bringing the, your two front of the bench assistant coaches and that's it. Right. I mean, I think right. they might have to really cut it down to like, you know, the trainer's got to be there. You, you know, the team doctor's got to be there. The I mean, just cut it down to like, you know, what a high school team would be basically. I mean, what, what right. you just absolutely required you know the equipment manager absolutely required to play the game no executives i mean they're just like you're not those people aren't essential to play the game right i mean and so um but i I mean who knows that that's even if you're trying to get ramp it up as fast as possible and you know but then you have the problem of like all right well you know are you really going to be monitoring the players 24 7 to make sure they're not coming in contact with people like the more i think about this it's uh you it's need it under some control dense. in society at large, or it's or it's going to bleed into the player pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and I think so. What it's going to get back to here is, I mean, so at a society level, how how do things get back to normal? Right? There's a there's a few ways that happens. One is obviously there's a vaccine, and it's widespread enough that then you don't have to worry about it. I mean, that's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is so many people have it and recover that you have like some kind of a herd immunity. I don't think anyone wants to count on that. Number three is basically, okay, we flatten the curve enough through social distancing at the beginning here for, you know, whether it's a month, whether it's three months, whatever this is going to be, that we basically just decide, okay, the curve is flattened. The people, like, if you are a vulnerable population, you're still not going outside. You're still isolating. But that, like, normality has to return and just the the risk. And Again, I'm not advocating for this. I'm just saying this is one thing that, you know, might happen is where you say, all right, it's time. It's been three months. We can't just totally stop society. Like life has to go on at some point. Our the curve is flattened enough that our hospitals can handle new cases. If you're a vulnerable population, you still need to stay inside, and life just kind of resumes. We just decide as a society, 
yeah, you know what? Some people are periodically going to be getting this. They're going to be out of commission. Uh, but we're just going to deal with the transmission of this virus, especially among populations who are healthy and hopefully can handle it. I mean, that's the, those are kind of the three scenarios that I see for like any kind of resumption of normal life, including obviously yeah. basketball games. Yeah. And I mean, you say that, I mean, one and two will, would take an extended amount of time. Yeah. And number three is, is the only one that has us playing basketball games. Yeah, I mean, and or I mean, when now when you get back to just a specific basketball lens, I mean, you really, I think, if you're, because if you're going to take the position that we can't play basketball games if there is any risk of those games resulting in transmission of the virus, you're going to be waiting a very, very long time. I mean, you you'll essentially have to be waiting until society itself completely restarts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so I mean, I think. If you're, or you would have to just, the players and, and owners would just have to agree. All right, players, like for this month and a half playoff run, which will probably be a truncated one, you guys just have to agree to not interact with anyone, basically, or, you know, keep, interact only with people who are also quarantined or something, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it just, if you're really going to reduce the risk down to zero or to as low as practicable, which all of us are kind of doing now, socially yeah. isolating. Yeah, you just have everyone stay in one hotel in Saskatoon, and <laughs> you just go to the yeah. arena. And no, back. I mean like that. Yeah, you you. Yeah, I mean, and there's even things like you know they'd have to probably have to have it in an area where you know if a player breaks a leg or something, there's gonna be a hospital bed for him. Yeah. You know, I mean, like there's that that level of concern too, where that's you know you can't point. have it somewhere where the hospital system is overwhelmed. So that's, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned Saskatoon, but like that's, you know, maybe they do have to just find somewhere. Like, and if they're just doing it on TV, yeah, just have can, it anywhere. You can go anywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. And it could and be have almost. It, have it in a, yeah, have it in Bismarck, North Dakota or something if you need to. But, yeah. uh, you know, wherever it ends up being. But, yeah, I mean, there's just, and I've thought of like just in the 15 minutes we've been talking, like 97 different issues here i mean this is just such an unprecedented thing i mean i'm sure we'll look back on this podcast two months from now and things are actually restarting and be like well that was stupid like <laughs> we, there's i mean just the, the way i look back on my own behavior from a week ago frankly yeah 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 just 20 20 different things that we probably have haven't thought about that <laughs> if, you, if you listen back to this and be like oh duh <laughs> okay well now that we've established that our uh our ideas are all completely unrealistic. Let's uh, let's take a break and, t- and talk about those in a second. And again, we we apologize here to have to continue doing ads. I I do realize it feels a little incongruous with the times that we're in, but uh, hopefully the you know economic life can go on to the extent possible. So we're gonna try and keep the lights on here, and uh, and hopefully to the extent you guys can, you can still support us. Uh, with our sponsors, but we understand, obviously, if you're not in a position to do that. But uh, we'll be right back after this. So way back in 2009, I started getting some really bad knee pain. And eventually, I was told that I needed to do a bunch of foam rolling to relieve this tendonitis. And so I got really good at it. I even started using like this hard PVC pipe. And it's just a pain. It's so difficult. It takes forever. You're just uncomfortable. It hurts a ton. You have to hold your body in these awkward positions. So that's why John and I were so excited to partner with Theragun. That's theragun.com slash PER. 
easy remember slash per because john invented per john uses it on his legs he works at a stand-up desk his legs will, will get sore after i work out after i go skiing you just have these spots on your body where if it, it feels like oh man i just can't get this knot out of there and the theragun helps you loosen up those muscles get rid of those adhesions just yesterday i used it on my lower back my glutes my vastus medialis it's like the quad muscle that's on the medial side of your leg the inside of your leg it's also just a good way to relax before bed maybe you have some neck pain just some normal you sat in the car for a while something like that theragun can help you feel better naturally treat your pain get you back to your life you can try it risk-free for so if you buy it it's not working out for you you can get your money back and the link to go there again is theragun.com slash PR. You can even get a free charging stand, a $79 value with your purchase. That's nice because then you, you can charge up another battery at the same time as you're using it. This is a great deal. Great product. I'm so glad to have one. It's theragun.com slash PR. Once again, theragun.com slash PER. Well, this one is going to be apropos for a while, I'm afraid. Postmates, not only do they deliver food, they deliver whatever you can think of from convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. You don't have to go to the store. You don't have to leave your house to go to restaurants, which you might not want to do right now anyway. You just download the Postmates app on Apple or Android. Find your favorites on there. Get anything you want delivered within an hour. Whether it's an early morning burrito, an adult beverage or two, some sushi, Postmates can get you what you need delivered fast. For a limited time, they are giving Locked on NBA listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. They have a delivery fee, but you can get up to $100 worth of free delivery fees waived over those first seven days with the code locked on nba that's the name of our network that's code locked on nba for 100 dollars of free delivery credit no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the postmates app anything you need anytime you need it postmate it okay so back to my original question here let's let's say they're able to restart in like june or july mm-hmm. yeah we'll, we'll do two scenarios or we'll do okay that's like the near-term scenario I, I'm honestly, I think that's probably it, right? Or there's the long-term scenario when it's like September or October or something. So near-term scenario, carte blanche, wave your hand. What does the league do? 30-team tournament um, where uh, there's a – so like the bad teams go first basically and you give a bye to the top – I think it would be the 14, top 14 teams. Wait, is that right? I don't think I did that right. Anyway, sort of like it's almost like how the summer league tournament works, except the only the only difference is obviously you're playing best of five or best of seven. You may you probably end up shortening it to best of five in the interests of time if it's not till June when you restart. I I think that's the best way to do it. You get every team back playing, you get excitement in every fan base, and you give everybody a chance. And I think it's a prelude to kind of what the play. Uh, the playing tournament could be. Now you could argue you just play like four or five games or whatever, just to get everybody, you know, get everybody's blood flowing. Uh, count those as as the rest of the regular season, so everyone finishes with like seventy games, and and then you go into the playoffs. Yeah, that's an interesting. So so you a thirty team tournament, and so what the uh, you would have like the bottom eight play each other, or or the bottom sixteen play each other, and then explain more of, of like how that would. There are a few different ways you could do it because you could do it with double buys, right? Um, or you could do it with, uh, 
or you could do it with a single buy where basically just the one and the the one and the two I think would get a buy and everyone else plays in the first round. Um which I don't know if you have the third best record in the league, if you should I don't know. <laughs> it seems it seems a little cold to to do it that way. But I don't I mean yeah. they they have they they have their uh, options. Also it's tough to have fourteen different series running concurrently, if you think about it, just from uh, the t- logistics t- t- for of us- TV. Tough for us media members trying to cover that series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well. Let's get let's get to the real issue here. Um, <laughs> I mean that know. that would be pretty awesome though. Like that, it would definitely. So you would do like three game series in the early rounds, and then move move to like yeah. five games in the second round, and probably then seven something after like that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe save best of seven for the finals or something. Um, you might get to the point where you could have home arenas for the finals, but maybe not. But you know, honestly, like arena availability is going to be such an issue in all of this too. Um, or maybe not. I don't know. Like all these arenas are booked for like concerts and monster yeah. truck shows. I mean, I think all of those are going to actually, yeah. Yeah. All of those are going to get pushed back too. I mean, I, you would imagine just that uh, these arenas all, I, I don't know how they did it. Like, I mean, the last time we had something like this, I think was like September 11th where everything kind of just got put on hold and like uh, air traffic was grounded and stuff like that. Obviously it wasn't nearly as long of a shutdown, but, um, I, I mean, you would think that they would come up with some kind of a solution here, maybe. And, and also you mentioned in your piece playing during the day or, or the, the idea of doing it at neutral sites. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it does seem that, uh, you know, the concerts can re- be rebooked a lot more easily than professional sports. Like, I mean, it seems like I don't think they're going to just eliminate three months and then you just start up with whatever was booked on June 1st, right? I think they'll come up with a solution where just like everything kind of gets pushed back and rebooked and stuff. Like, you would hope that that's how it would happen instead of just like record scratch. Okay, we're ready to go here. We're going to start <laughs> with this, this concert that's been planned for July 15th for the last six, six months, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my I, I kind of like that one. That's that's I mean, you would have to I don't know if you would maybe you just wouldn't do it. Like maybe you just all right, we'll have a training camp of of a week or two and let's just go play. I mean, they that's what they do in college, right? They start the regular season pretty much right away. You know, the the first game of Duke season is like the Champions Classic or whatever, like a big game against Kentucky, so it's it's not impossible to do it that way. I think maybe uh what what I had thought of was to do a kind of FIBA style end of the regular season where you take maybe the bottom eight teams in each conference and have them just all play a round robin. So they all play like seven games and then whoever wins that gets into the playoffs. Or you could do just, you know, the the tournament for the bottom team to get the eighth seed as well. You could do it mm-hmm. that way. Bottom eight teams in each uh each conference. I guess a lot of it depends on like if you were doing this, how much would you prioritize just in terms of fairness? what's already happened in the regular season versus let's just make this as entertaining as possible. I think one, you want to make it as entertaining as possible Two, like some of these bottom dweller teams, you kind of need to give them a reason to come back and give a shit. You know what I you mean? Know, if I, honestly, they're just like, Hey, yeah. you're just going to play out the string for six games. Like, you know, yeah. like if you're Kevin Love, you're just like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to hang out in California. <laughs> like if I'm, Am I even going to bother coming yeah. back for that? Yeah. Like, now I do think if they if they're playing games with fans, if we're at that point, then I think there would be a lot of motivation. Actually, I mean, we're going to be yeah. so miserable and so kept up, and just to actually celebrate the n- resumption of normal life by going to mm-hmm. a basketball game and like cheering. I mean, even just 
yeah. to have a game, you know, in Atlanta, uh, you know, Hornets Hawks. I think people are going to just be like, so happy to go to that game and just like, so I, yeah. I think, uh, if there are able to be fans in particular, like I do think all 30 teams need to play, even, even if you're just sitting at home, right? I mean, number one, it's just a big chance for like everyone in these markets who's still sitting at home. If they're playing without fans to just have something going on, right? I mean, like this yeah. is, you've got a captive audience here as, uh, as morbid as this to say about that. Like this is actually a chance for the league to really, uh, take center stage. And I'm sure all the TV partners too would love to, uh, like, Think of, you know, if you're Fox Sports, uh, Southeast for Atlanta, I mean, you, you still want to have those games, right? I mean, there's also just a chance to make money off these games a little bit and recoup some of these losses. So I, my personal preference would be, I think they should have, uh, you know, all of the, all of these teams playing some games, but I do agree. It'd be nice to, and I think just people would be so happy to be out there again and competing. And like, you're also just trying to leave a, an impression for free agency and stuff. I actually think teams would play hard. Um, mm-hmm. cause it's also like you, you're not beaten down for the end of the season. You're just cooped up with all, all your, all your family and stuff for all this yeah. time. You'd be so happy to just be playing. Like these guys do love to play and you're not okay, at the end of the season point. where it's like, yeah. I'm trying to get to Cancun after this. So I think teams would play hard, but I agree having more incentive would make it more interesting. So I, I, it would be nice to have that for sure. Um, so then uh, uh, any other thoughts on like how we would like create the playoff field here? I mean, I, like, there's the tournament. There's doing like a FIBA style, you know, groups thing where every each team plays each other and you get points. Um, or or you could do this thirty team tournament that you were talking about, which I think would be pretty fun too. Yeah, yeah. And again, the length of this all depends on how much time, how long their window really is to kind of blast through all this. And yeah, I'm sure the league is having the same kind of discussions. Like, if it really came down to it, could we play into September? Like, I, I mean, I think all that stuff has to be at least on the table right now as they talk it out and, and figure, uh, what, what the next steps are. Well, here, here's what I'm thinking about too. I mean, if we, we talk about the second scenario where they're starting, they can't start up until like August or September. I still think that they would want to finish out the season, uh, because, you know, playoffs are just more lucrative in general than regular season games. So even if you have to truncate next season, You'd rather finish this season. Also, it's just so weird to not have a champion for a season. Yeah. Um, now you might run into some issues with like the players association of like, Hey, we, you know, we never had an off season. Would they accept the idea that, Hey, your off season is when you were just sitting at home stuck in your house for three months? Like, you know, maybe not, but, uh, it, that's uh, all of this is subject to negotiation. But I mean, for me, I would say you use, even if it lasts into September, you should still do the playoffs if you can. I mean, it's, and even if you're going up against football, but football, I mean, if they're, if we, NBA can't start until September, football, you know, training camps, all this stuff like it, football is going to be, uh, retarded as well. Yeah. I mean, a lot more contact with a lot more people in football too. So there's, uh, some things to think about in that sport. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, uh, I think they should still, I mean, if now if it gets to be Christmas or something, then obviously, you know, you reach the point that baseball did in 95, basically, where they just had to yeah. start up with the next season and be like, yep, yeah, sorry, Expos, yeah. I know you were awesome, but <laughs> too bad. Yeah. Well, and that was also where they just, they didn't, that that was, that was more a, str- like, it, it, it kind of made more sense to cancel it because they were doing it to themselves. I mean, this yeah. year, I think it, it would just be such a bummer for teams like the Bucks or the Clippers or the, or the Lakers. I mean, gosh, for, for this crazy year they've had. Um, so... 
then what happens with like the end of the league year? Yeah. And yep. the draft. Um, I know you wrote a piece with Vicini about that. What did you guys come up with for what you think the draft is going to look well, like? Well, I mean, the, so the biggest thing is that they're, they've lost every scouting opportunity, basically, right? Yeah. For the rest of the year, unless they push back the calendar on the draft, which honestly, I mean, this is the one thing where the league really has as much control as it could ever want. In terms of the, the the only thing that's really in their way is the letter for players to put their name in or take them out for the next college season. That that's that's the only deadline that really could get a little sticky. But that's you know that's an NCAA issue as much as it's an NBA issue. And even when you even if that you know is a minor problem, I don't think they should be. I don't think they should be setting up the date of the draft based on that. Like it's not that big an issue. And so. Given that, they can hold the draft basically whenever they want. If they want to hold the draft on August 12th, what's stopping them? Yeah, I think that would also have to be negotiated, I assume. But there, there's, um, la- there, there's language on the draft in the CBA. Obviously, it would have to be negotiated. I think it's a pretty easy negotiation since you're negotiating with people who aren't going to be subject to the draft. Right. Like that's yeah. that would probably be the easiest thing. They have a lot of stuff to negotiate. Um, based on some things that are in the CBA, and it's going to require some uh, some real uh, partnership between the league and the players' association. If it gets adversarial, it could really drag things out and get ugly. So hopefully that won't happen. Yeah, they're off. They're off to a sides, good start. You know. They're off to a good start agreeing to this moratorium, uh, where you know there aren't going to be any changes in player contracts at all. Um, that that seemed like a, a good way to get rolling here. But yeah, I mean it could could get contentious. I'm actually gonna have Larry Kuhn on my podcast tomorrow. We'll probably talk a little bit more about some of those issues. But so I mean, let's say scenario number one here. We're talking about a resumption June or July. What do you think would it happen in the draft? What do you think would be best to happen in the draft in that scenario? I think you just have to separate the draft from the season at this point. Like you just Figure out when you can do the draft, and if the season's over by then, great. And if it's not, oh well, because the um, it, the two don't have to be connected, right? So you know you'll hold the lottery at some point, and you can make a big deal about that. But but that'll be based off of final regular season records, right? So as long as you're into that playoff season, you can get into the draft, and because you you do want to at some point get the players drafted and get them into your. You know, the teams want to get them into their system and have a summer with them and whatever. So they, they are going to want to do that sooner rather than later. Uh, but I think the league just has a ton of flexibility here uh, to to do it when they want. And, you know, th- that should allow you, in theory, to do a real draft combine and have some players be able to work out for teams. And it could actually be beneficial that some of these European guys could come over and work out for teams too, which normally they can't because they're still playing their season. Yeah. It does seem like it'd be tough though, with just all the travel concerns to have like actual workouts. I mean, maybe it would make more sense to just, you know, again, congregate everybody in one area and sort of just have like an extended combine period. I mean, uh, although that I, from a virology standpoint, I'm not sure whether that's better or having these prospects fly into the teams is better. Or I think more likely, honestly, I think we just would just have to not have individual workouts. Like they might have to just do it. Um, 
unless you get to the point where again we're just back to normal as a society um back back in the day there were uh what we called group workouts where basically three or more teams would sponsor a workout invite every other team and they'd have 15 to 20 prospects come in because that's the way you get around the six prospects on the court thing um but uh, the teams that were the most enthusiastic about those changed management. And so that, that hasn't happened in a few years. Um, do you think there's any way they would do it before the actual season is over? Or do you just have to wait until afterwards? I still think you need a season over so that you know the final records to do the reverse order for the draft. I mean, I suppose you yeah. could base it on records as of March 12th. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's probably some anti-tanking. Anti-tanking like that better, there, right? right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's yeah. actually been proposed before to mm-hmm. just do it as of some some earlier date. Yeah, um, there was actually a paper on that at the Sloan Conference, believe it or not. Um, well, I think also it's just how the hell do you know what your team needs? How Like the draft, you, you got to be able to make trades around the draft too. Like it, I think it has to be after the regular season or, or after the playoffs are complete, right? I mean, like, you know, what if – Giannis Antetokounmpo wants to get traded from Milwaukee because the Bucks go out in the second round, and you know now like the draft has already happened. <laughs> like you know, that's yeah. I mean, it does seem like it would it would have to be after whenever the the playoffs are concluded, and that also has the benefit of presumably once you're actually playing playoff games, then things are back to normal enough that you can have more of a a usual pre-draft process than you would earlier when you're still really worried about things. Yeah, I uh it, again, it depends how far back we go. I mean, if we're if we're trying to play the finals in September, I I still wonder about that. Yeah, I mean, what yeah, what everyone is going to be doing by that point. I mean, that's yeah. all. Yeah, I mean, we're going to know so much more in 2 weeks or a month from now, I think, of just like how wide this is really spread. But I I do think when we're just talking about the when can play actually resume, which is the biggest variable, like two months to me seems like the absolute minimum because if you look at this, the Chinese CBA, yep, the the lockdown really started on January twenty second in Wuhan, and they are like thinking about starting April first, so that's more than two months for them. And while certainly news reports would indicate that the initial response to the virus and letting it get out was totally bungled by the Chinese, they also really locked things down in a way that frankly, we probably haven't yet. Uh, Correct. Not not that I uh, would prefer being there because I've read a lot of really bad stories of what's happened to the people who have uh, criticized the government response there initially, but they have locked things down more than we probably are. So you would have to imagine that they, in terms of their society, if they're just feeling like they can restart again April 1st, we're probably going to be, it's going to be a longer timeline for us, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean... June, July is like the absolute earliest I would see things starting up again. I think that's a fair estimate. Yeah. I um, mean, the, the amount we just, just know is dwarfed by here. the amount we don't know. I should be clear. But based on what we yeah. do know, uh, that, that seems like a fair estimate. So I don't know. So, so you think you would, despite my concern, do you think do you do the draft before the season is over? Like you'd, uh, I'd be, do you think yeah. that would be possible? I'd be totally fine with that. I don't think it's that big a deal. What, what's the, so what is the reason to not wait until longer like I was saying? I just think you hit a point where you need to where you need to get on with it and all these all these players coming out are just hanging out twiddling their thumbs and you when you, when you draft a guy you do want to get him into your 
program and into your system and everything. And the longer that takes, if you basically lose a summer with them, you almost lose their first season too. I don't know, just coming from the team side, I guess that's how I would see it. So I would much rather be able to draft a guy in June than be able to draft him in September or October. But yeah. Well, so, so what about the whole transactional element? You think that having the guy, guy get into the team earlier is, I mean, it's also going to be weird to have a guy be drafted and then the playoffs are still going on and he's yeah, like, not so, okay. So yeah. you raise a good point. There is a transactional element that would be blocked because the teams that were still playing could not do trades on draft night and the other yeah. teams could, and that could be perceived as unfair. So you raise, you raise an important, a important, uh, objection that could uh, could be a real factor there that I had not considered. Well, and also I think, too, if we're at the point where they're playing in empty arenas, having the draft and having all the pomp and circumstance and the media and, you know, a crowd in the draft and stuff, like all of that I think would probably be irresponsible if, if they're still playing in empty arenas. So that might be another thing just to preserve the TV spectacle of it all they would want to put it later. True. Although, uh, if, if things really get pushed back, having a draft is one of the few things that you can do. With, that's actually something. <laughs> that you, yeah. That's something. And you could <laughs> yeah. just do it for TV and you could, you know. So they, I guess it cuts both ways. But obviously, if that happened, you're doing it with no combine, you know, interviews via FaceTime. Like it, it would be, you know, it, the process for it would be unsatisfying for the teams involved, certainly. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, uh, although honestly, that that might be true, but everyone's suffer, uh, under the same constraints, right? I mean, I think yeah. to, uh, eventually, as long as it's all fair and everyone is has the same constraints, it doesn't bother me that much. I mean, you might say, hey, you know, as teams, we're, we're more likely to make a bad decision because we didn't interview these guys or whatever, but nobody else is interviewing anyone either. So it, it should still be a level playing field. It'd be very interesting to see uh, how hilarious would it be if, like, they don't do any of the pre-draft stuff. And this turns out to be like one of the most accurate drafts ever. <laughs> They're just like only working off the film and the stats and like they actually do a much we've, better job. Believe me, we've had those arguments internally about, <laughs> about should you even do workouts because the, the, the effect is so profound of that data point. Even if you, pardon me, even if you allow yourself to, um, or, even if you continually remind yourself that it's just one data, it's so hard because it's the last thing you saw. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Uh, all right, let's take another quick break here. And uh, then we'll talk about how we would see a potential off season unfolding. Well, we're going to be spending a lot of time at home over the next, however long. And that's a great time to get started with masterclass. Learn from the absolute best in whatever field you are interested in. Might as well buy their all-access pass, which you can get 15% off of. That gives you access to every masterclass at masterclass.com slash PER. Easy to remember because John invented PER. Masterclass.com slash PER gets you 15% off masterclass. And whether you are just a polymath who wants to learn about a lot of subjects or you really want to get into stuff, they've got exercises. You can get better at just about anything with their immersive learning experience. Cinema quality classes give you a list of a few of these. Annie Leibovitz teaching photography. That's a great thing you can go out and do on your own. Bunch of cooking classes. We're going to need those for sure. Natalie Portman teaches acting. Chris Voss on the art of negotiation. That's one that I may sit down and do here during this downtime. 
course steph curry shooting and ball handling that's something you can practice on your own serena williams tennis alice waters right here in my home of berkeley california created shape and eves basically started farm to table in this area she's got a class now really excited to try out all these because let's face it we're gonna be at home so the way to get started again with them masterclass.com slash pr don't forget that slash PR URL to let them know that you came from us and that'll get you 15% off their annual all access pass. You guys know about The Athletic. We know you need your sports fix and The Athletic is the best way to do this. They're still an essential resource for me right now. John is doing some great writing with them. He did a story just recently on what the draft might look like, what the league salary cap situation might look like with my partner, Danny LaRue. There's no ads, no pop-ups, no clickbait. All the articles are stuff that sports writers can really take the time to get into. I think you're going to see some fantastic storytelling from them over these next few months now. The way to get started with them, theathletic.com slash PER. You remember John invented PER? That can get you 40% off a yearly subscription and you get access to John's work, beat writers for basically every American team. Great national writers like Shams Charania with the NBA, Jay Glazer for the NFL, my buddy Ethan Strauss here in the Bay Area, Sam Amick, David Aldridge, just a ton of NBA firepower. So once again, the way to get started with them, theathletic.com slash PR. That'll get you 40% off a yearly subscription. It's a great way to support them right now support journalism and also get a great deal for yourself when the games start back up that's the athletic.com slash per so the analog that i thought of um you, you noted this when you went back to history of you know there's only been two seasons that have been canceled the 1919 stanley cup finals with incidentally the last big epidemic that we had the uh spanish flu epidemic uh and than the uh the 94 world series which was because of a labor stoppage um i wanted to pick a historical analog for what an off season might look like and that's the 2011 uh lockout ending because okay. if you think about what is because let's say you know we're playing the nba finals in september or something presumably everyone would want to get started again with the next season as quickly as possible after that maybe you have a little bit of an off season but you know might want to try and do it by christmas so the question of what is the minimum amount of time you need to conduct an offseason, 2011 is probably a pretty good analog there. They agreed, like, what was it, early December, something so, like that? Uh, uh, yeah, December 8th, they yeah. ended the lockout, and they threw the balls up on December 25th. Yeah, that's uh, and I think we can trust, like, today's player to stay in a little better shape than, like, you know, the 1999 lockout player. I think by 2011, you know, you didn't really see any of these guys – who'd ballooned up like Sean Kemp style. So uh, the idea of like, oh, they need all this time to get in shape to play, uh, that hopefully is something that wouldn't uh, be a huge impediment. Um, yeah, I mean, they just basically got all their business done. The, the good news was the draft had already happened yeah. the previous year before the lockout. That helped them a lot probably. So, yeah, I mean, how how – long do you think they realistically would have to take before starting the next season i think there'd be pressure from the teams that advanced deeply into the playoffs to to uh have some time and that tends to be the star players too who are pretty influential in the union to me the i mean the league's cut we saw it in the 2011 the the cutoff is christmas for the league 
They they like they need those Christmas games. Yeah. And anything before Christmas, I think, is negotiable. Yeah, I, that seems like what it. I mean, obviously, ninety nine they started in what like end of January or something, and then you had yeah. the fifty game season with the you know back to back to backs, and I mean that that season was just an absolute disaster. But mm-hmm. I mean, the number of games that they had played too. Zach was talking about this uh, on his podcast with, with Howard Beck of just like you know, are we gonna try to cram more games in now? Even like we even still did in twenty twelve, or are you just gonna keep the same tempo throughout the regular season? And hopefully, to me, it would be the latter, and it could be made up for by some more TV ratings. But it wouldn't be as good of a experiment as I was hoping for of like you know spreading fifty eight games over the entire regular season. So maybe they wouldn't yeah. get that much higher ratings. Yeah, but a you know a short a shortened season should produce higher ratings per game. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you I don't know if it's going to make up for the games you missed. So that could be a, a point of contention for the league and for the players. Honestly, I mean you're talking about BRI, so you're talking about them getting paid prorated based on the number of games, basically. So there's a lot again. There's a lot to discuss here between the uh, uh, the league and the players association. And it's tough to discuss any of it without more information. Yeah, and I'm sure it seems like that, that the league probably hasn't even begun to think about this stuff yet because they're just trying to figure out like how they can get guys to work out and and who might need to be tested still and what do we do if there's a positive test and how do we make sure more players don't get it uh, in the midst uh, of their self-quarantine or not quarantining uh, as well as they should if that happens with some players or coaches or whatever um all of that seems like uh the more immediate concerns and frankly i mean there's not they're not going to be able to do anything until they have more information at this point yeah exactly i mean it's when it does restart though I mean, it's going to be pretty fun <laughs> it's going to be awesome like i that i'm really really looking forward to it I mean, it's going to be such a whirlwind it's going to be so unprecedented and new i mean i It'll be more interesting than ever to me and hopefully more interesting than ever to uh, to the public. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we saw that. I mean, sort of the free agent feeding frenzy at the end of the last two lockouts where these teams had to make so many decisions in such a short period of time. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was a really interesting few days, both in uh, both in January 99 and in December of 2011. Yeah, I wish uh, uh, you'd been working for a team. I'd love to hear some stories from them i I know like bobby marks has talked about how the cba comes down and they just like all right we're gonna stay up all night reading this thing yeah (laughs) yeah no i've 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 heard that from a couple other people who were there for it that it was just insane well at least they won't have that issue this time it'll be operating under a hopefully a similar cba uh we'll see it and uh john did a a nice piece with daniel larue uh about what's going to happen with the Salary cap potentially uh, with the lost revenue that's uh, inevitable at this point. I'm going to have Larry Kuhn on the podcast as well to talk about that tomorrow. Some of the, some of the real arcane CBA stuff. Uh, so biggest thing I wanted to do still, Danny and I did a podcast about just some of our favorite things about basketball. I thought to kind of remind ourselves uh, of what's good in life. Uh, I would ask you the same thing. So uh, I'm going to just pepper you here, John. Uh, for those who don't know you that well, it's be a nice w- window into your uh, your <laughs> basketball history. Um, so, what is your favorite game that you've ever seen? Favorite game that I've ever seen? Wow. 
Uh, I probably have to go Homer on this. Um, game two at Golden State, 2015. Mike Conley I was at that with game. the mask. Yeah. yeah. What a performance that was. That was yeah. like after he had he'd broken his face in the Portland series. And, I mean, just seeing him in the locker room. <laughs> at, yeah. Like, I mean, do, do you remember? Uh, I mean, I just, saw like, explain? him. Yeah. I saw him at the hotel after the Portland game. Uh, so <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like just his, yeah, obviously yeah, his face he, he all, broke his fucking face. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just all blown up and discolored and whatnot. And he was kind of woozy from the drugs and stuff. And it was, uh, yeah. And for him, so for him to come back, uh, and play so well in that game against that team, uh, and r- really put us in a position to, you know, to potentially steal the series that game. So I, I think, you know, that was probably the apex of that era of Grizzlies basketball. I know we got to the conference finals in 2013, but that, that 2015 team was our best team, so to speak. And, yeah. uh, that, that game was probably the pinnacle of it. Yeah. I mean, that, that was just an unbelievable performance. I, I remember, I mean, he was just making, all these floaters, like every time Golden State would try to come back, just ridiculous shots. And and the you know, three at the had, end to put the nail in the coffin. Yeah. I mean, like, do, do you remember, like, what – did you talk to him at all about, like, how he was feeling at that time? Do you remember it? Not really. Um, you know, I, I mean, I remember talking to him during, you know, somewhere in that stretch. But I don't remember talking to him specifically before the game. It was just like, hey, I'm, you know, he's playing. <laughs> <It's> like, okay. <laughs> I, like, that must have just been a shock to you guys that he was able to come back as quickly as he did, right? Yeah, I mean, we just didn't know. And yeah. uh, I guess we sort of assumed that that it might be game, you know, maybe game four. Maybe, you know, if we could get home and win game three, maybe we could have him for game four, maybe. So I, I don't think any of us thought game two. And obviously game one, people forget, we didn't have Bano Udry either. Um, cause he turned his ankle in the, uh, one game before Mike broke his face in that, in that Portland series. So we were playing with Nick Calathis. We were able to win game five with him, uh, playing basically the whole game of point guard. And then game one against Golden State, we did the same thing. And so, uh, you know, obviously it was, you know, no disrespect to Nick. It was a fine player as far as just being an NBA player, but it was a big up, uptick to go to, from him to Mike Conley. All right, your favorite player ever to watch? Uh, even though he played for our rivals, Manu Ginobili. Not even close. Wow. Just uh, so daring and creative and like the one of those guys who struck the balance between being an absolute motherfucker on the court but still a decent human being off it, <laughs> which, you know, some guys struggle with. And, uh, just, uh, I don't know. He just, he, he, you know, the, they call it the Euro step. I mean, he's from Argentina, but he's the guy who really brought it into, into Absolutely. play. And for him to be as good as he was and as talented as he was, and then accept the role he had for so long and thrive in it, uh, I thought was really unique. Uh, I, like, I just, I could watch him all day. I just thought he was a brilliant, brilliant basketball player. And just the way he played and the, the style was really unique. Yeah. I mean, one of the most creative players of all time, I would say. 
Yeah, and just, you know, he did stuff that people copy now. That, that you know, in terms of the Eurostep, obviously, but even just little stuff, like the Spurs had this play where they, they pass it to him way high on the wing, and then Parker would just cut through, and Ginobili just started firing these 40-foot bounce passes to Parker on his cut that, like, it wasn't even supposed to be part of the play, and they would get layups off it. And I don't know, it's just... just uh, there's something about you know what I mean. Some guys you just like your eye just kind of goes to them, and when you're watching the play, and he's definitely that guy for me. Yeah, and he wasn't you know an incredibly athletic player by conventional standards, but he was he brought a different type of athleticism, a change of direction, and just that that wiry strength. Um, and by the way, if you if you guys want to listen to, I I did uh, Danny and I did all of our. Uh, our favorites for these as well uh, on a pod last week. Um, favorite basketball memory. Favorite basketball memory. Oh, I mean, it's got to be. I mean, can I include myself in this? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, our high when our high school team won the sectional championship. I mean that that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. How how many points do you score in that game? I scored five. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, there there was a yeah there was a court storming at the end and everything and the guy on our team made was, was made the winning upset? shot with one second left no it wasn't oh, an upset wow. it was like the one seed versus the two seed you know uh, so yeah but uh, uh, but yeah yeah dramatic ending and yeah it was awesome yeah my uh, uh, yeah I, I think because like people are always interested to hear how we actually fell in love with the game years ago before we became uh, such jaded scribes. Or, or podcasters, <laughs> in my case. Yeah, uh, that's – so were you guys uh, – how did your season end that year? Uh, we played we, – the next round we played a team that was way better than we were um, and yeah. lost by like 20. <laughs> what, what was your game like as a high school player? Uh, so I was one of the first uh, three-point specialists. They put in the three-point line in uh, 88 or 87 or something, and my – so my senior year was like 89. As soon as they put that line in, I knew like, well, I'm, I'm not good at anything else. I'm going to be good at this. So, <laughs> so I just started raining. I mean, I was a good outside shooter. So, but um, uh, so, yeah, I would just I would just shoot threes all the time. Well, so you're uh, you're ahead of your time analytically then, huh? Exactly. Yeah. 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 What, what, what do you what do you think your uh, your three point attempt rate was in high school? Uh, you know, it was probably like. Half my shots, something like that. That's a that's which, a lot for back then. For back then is a lot, right? Yeah. Did you have any like resistance to shooting threes from your coach? Not not especially. I I I mean, I would hear it from like other players sometimes. Like, why do you why do you just keep shooting threes? I'm like, well, you know, I could I could step in and get one point less if you want. Would that make you happy? Like, I. <laughs> this is this is. Huge! This is the journey of John Hollinger yeah, into yeah. into analytics. That you you're ahead of your time, even as a high school player. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> do Do you think that that actually might have informed your approach a little bit? Uh, maybe a little bit. You know, I think I even didn't understand how overwhelming the math was. Um, like I think I got it yeah. a little bit, but. Just, just I think it wasn't public until... education wasn't that good. To, to <laughs> yeah, it was a public yeah. school. I mean, what yeah, do you want? It's, it's, uh, right? Yeah, it's no. one point five times more. I just didn't really understand it. You know, 
<laughs> but also the spacing element of it too, I think, uh, was was the part that I think until later didn't really become as obvious. Yeah, that's what I think people like. It really took until D'Antoni, I think, before, or may, maybe you could say uh, like Houston, uh, like those, those Tomjanovich Houston teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Patino was the first one to really the first quote unquote famous coach to really adopt the three point shot, but yeah. I think he was doing it more just the math of the shot rather than the spacing element yeah. of it. Yeah, I mean that, and that's really what it, it probably took. Really, even before, like from D'Antoni, and then really even I think those Heat teams to understand just like, oh wow, you spread everyone out, like everyone else has so much more space to work. I mean, there's this thought of like. Okay, if you double team off of this guy, then, you know, now he can hit the shot. You know, there was that thought of like, okay, we want someone that we can't leave. But the idea of like, no, you just are going to have more space overall to even run your initial play and make the help be further away. That I think it took a long time for people to kind of get that. Um, I agree. I agree. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new SiriusXM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. The most awesome play that you've ever seen. Okay, I'm going to go to college for this because I had a great seat for it. Um, University of Florida scout seat, before they redid their arena, was right along the sideline opposite the other team's bench and you were you were it was a floor level seat um and so coming i was about even with maybe the free throw line and i'm basically right at the floor and i'm watching kentucky play florida uh andrew harrison who was one of the players i was scouting as you might have guessed so so this is uh is this 14 15 season Probably would have been, yeah. Like that, that, uh, the, I mean, I think he played two years, but is the, he played uh, two years there. It wasn't the Anthony Davis year, obviously. Um, no, well, the, was, the 14 15 was they were about to be undefeated for the whole year and then they lost to Kentucky in the, in the final four. Uh, yeah, it was that year. So, it was so that Towns year. Because, was on the team. Cause it was, cause it was their senior day, actually. It was, it was Florida's senior day for all those guys. Um, uh, you know, Scotty Wilbekin and, and those guys. Um, so, but, so Harrison comes down and throws a pass to Willie Cauley Stein on the foul line and he takes one step and soars up and just ends this dude's life. I mean, he like, it's the best in-person dunk I've ever seen. It's not even close. Um, and that, that to me is the most awesome play I've ever seen. And obviously, I had a bird's eye view for it, so that made it more like you know. You could say LeBron's dunk on Iguodala or whatever. I was just watching that on TV. Like, so there's something visceral about being like sitting right on the floor and watching something like that, where you're like, "Oh my goodness!" Um, so, oh yeah, for sure, being right there is huge. 
So hopefully there's a YouTube clip of this somewhere, um, which I'm sure there is. Yeah, you would, uh, I would think so. I'll, I'm going to try and find it, actually, after this. I'm going to write that down. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you're saying, like, LeBron's block on Iguodala would be, like, another one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I told this yeah. story on the other podcast, but I, I want you to hear it, actually, so I'm going to retell it. Um, this was in uh, Christmas of 1996. I was still a high school student, and uh, – I would just like go to high school games around my area just because I wanted to see some of these other teams play and I didn't have anything better to do. It was over Christmas break. Our Christmas tournament had already concluded. Mm-hmm. So I went to uh, Proviso West, which is a, a high school on the west side of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, in this, in the suburbs, uh, Robert Covington went there. Pretty good booted high school. A lot of good players have come out of there. Um, and they had a Christmas tournament every year. And so there was a high school playing. It was like the last game of the night, first round. Nobody was in the arena. It was just like I was sitting, you know, probably halfway up in the stands. And uh, a high school called Dunbar High School was playing. It was like a pretty good Chicago yeah. Public League team. Oh, not, um, the, not the famous Dunbar from Baltimore then. No. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there's Dunbar High School in Chicago. And, you know, not like a powerhouse like the one that's in Maryland. And so a lot of these teams back, back then in the city that you would play against – they had like, you know, a bunch of just like six foot tall guys. And you would see me be like, oh, these guys like aren't that good. And then the game would start and they would press. They would just dribble around you. They had like a couple of guys who could bomb threes mm-hmm. and could jump out of the gym too. And these guys are all, you know, like six feet, like a buck 50. And they would just run us out of the gym <laughs> when we'd, we'd yeah. play them. Yeah. Um, and so. I can't even remember what high school they're playing against, but there's maybe six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Dunbar is in control of the game. They're maybe up by like 10 or so. Guy goes up, misses a layup, and these two guys who are probably like six foot and weighed like a buck 40, buck, buck 30, both jump up, both get two hands on the ball, and both simultaneously tip dunk the ball. Wow. Breaking breaking the backboard <laughs> this really happened i swear to god oh my god <laughs> and there was maybe like you know if there were 150 people in the gym to watch this yeah um i was there with my friend rory donnie i remember I, i'm not friends with him anymore I'll, I'll have to actually see if i can get back in touch with him ask him if he remembers this okay uh, but i've never seen anything like it like nothing like that will ever happen again I mean, just how small those guys were to both get up, both tip dunk the ball at the same time, both grab the rim at the same time and break it. There was a 45-minute delay mm-hmm. as they had to replace the backboard. I don't know where they found another backboard just yeah, sitting really? around at a high school gym, but they had one. It was unbelievable. I've, oh, I've oh, like, oh. never – just a random high school game as a 16-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure neither of those guys like ever really did anything in their basketball careers, probably. Yeah. But ho- hopefully, they have, have that memory forever because it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um. Okay. Last question here. Uh, your favorite team, non-Memphis division. Favorite team, non-Memphis division. All right. Um, I gotta get the uh, I gotta get the year right here. The Phoenix Suns in twenty uh twenty. 10 maybe 2009 the year they played uh, the conference finals against the lakers that's 2010 okay so i had the pleasure of covering that team's entire playoff run and that was probably the best group of guys 
that have ever been on one team together. Um, we talk about you had Steve Kerr, Alvin Gentry, and Griff in the front office. Uh, you had Steve Nash, Grant Hill, Jared Dudley, Robin Lopez, uh, Jaron Collins, like just Channing Fry was Channing on that Fry, team. Like just great dudes everywhere, like all over the place. Um, yeah, Jason know. Richardson was on that team too. Yeah, yeah, uh, and. Uh, Th- that was just so much fun to be around that team. And, uh, obviously it was in a, they played a very attractive style too, obviously with Nash running everything in addition the way yeah. he did. Dragic was on that team. Dragic, they had that Lou five Amundsen. man bench unit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Leandro Barbosa. Uh, was yeah, he still just, on their team at that point? Yes. He, he might have. Yeah. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like yeah, so like I was at that game where Dragic scored twenty four points in the fourth quarter or whatever it was against San Antonio, um, and uh, you know just just covered them all through that those first two rounds and some of the conference finals and just what just a great group of guys. I don't know. It was just a fun team to watch and and you know you really wanted them wanted them to do well. Um, you know, other than Amin, obviously. Um, but <laughs> we, we kid, it means a friend of the show. Um, but he was, he was in the, uh, son's organization at that time. Did, did you know him at that point? No, I did not actually. Yeah. That's, uh, a means rise from obscurity is just like a, a, a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful story. Yeah. He was, yeah. Cause I guess he was, yeah, you probably weren't talking to like, uh, I didn't I talk to the video the coordinators, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think he had moved into front office by that point. I want to say, but, uh, yeah, no, and then it all went awry. Like they had, they decided not to give Stoudemire a contract, which you know was probably a decent decision. And Kerr ended up leaving, and Griff ended up leaving, and uh, yeah. then the Lance Blanks era started, and uh, yep. wasn't quite the same. Not quite, no, no, uh, no. That was the team I because I lived in Arizona for a long time in law school. I shouldn't say a long time; it was three years, but and really liked that team. So I followed their playoff run. I was really rooting for them, and then they got ended by. Kobe with like a ridiculous barrage of shots in that game six. Exactly. Um, yeah. Just like he just hit, like he was just getting double teamed and hitting like 22 foot fadeaways over and over again from the right way. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess we got to take our medicine here and, and talk a little bit since we do, we do have this platform and I wouldn't feel right if we weren't at least trying to talk about, uh, what's going on with, with COVID-19. So, I'll tell you what, you guys know I'm incredibly lazy about writing. This crisis is so important that I actually wrote something. <laughs> that, 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 if, if that doesn't impress the gravity of the situation upon you, <laughs> nothing will. Um, there you so, go. so what I talked about was, and I, I pinned this to my Twitter profile. You know, obviously there's a lot, of, yeah, been a exactly. lot of discussion about social distancing. And I imagine that if you are listening to this podcast, you've been, in the news enough, you're probably someone who uh, has been doing that yourself. And, and we know why that's so important, even if you yourself are healthy, to flatten the curve, avoid our hospitals getting overwhelmed with this initial surge, and, of course, to prevent transmission to more vulnerable members of society. And also, you two probably don't necessarily want to get this thing, I, I would say. We don't really know that much about it right now. So uh important to socially distance, but I think the greater thing that all of us who already realize the importance that is, is to reach out to people that you know personally and try to talk to them about why 
they should do this. So uh, the article that I wrote um, was based on some of my experiences, uh, my wife's experience with her, uh, one of the yoga studios that she teaches at, where she reached out to them and there was a lot of resistance at first, understandably so, because the business that she worked at, what they felt a responsibility to their employees. They wanted to remain in business. They knew that their employees rely on the business for their livelihood. And basically she tried to impart to them like, no, like we need to, like is our social responsibility to shut down yoga studios can transmit this virus really well. And so based on her experiences, I wrote a guide for talking to either the business owner of the business that you work at. If you're worried about uh, contracting the virus and it's not, you know, something that's essential for people to live their lives. Obviously those people we need to protect and they have to be out there. So everyone else shouldn't be. Um, so I, I strongly encourage you guys to take a look at that. If you are a business owner, it's got some good stuff in there about why you really should consider closing things down as well, because it seems like it's going to be coming anyway at this point. And so this next week or two is going to be essential to, uh, to flattening the curve. So like, Honestly, I think all of us, I encourage everyone on my show, I'm encouraging everyone now, talk to 10 people in your life today, every day, who you think could be learning more about this, and uh, just try to be good about persuading them. Don't They're not monsters because they're doing this. They're trying to live their lives. They don't understand it. They're not selfish. They're not bad people. We were all in the same spot that they were a week ago, and so I needed to hear it from someone in my life, and they probably need to hear it from someone in their life, and... You know, even if you don't think that people are going to get it right away, they probably aren't going to get it right away. Just keep working on them. That's that's what I think we all need to do here. And with, uh, I should add, with St. Patrick's Day coming up, uh, some states have closed bars already. But uh, for those of you who are thinking of going out and going to a packed bar on uh, for St. Patrick's Day, I would strongly recommend you not do that. That is a uh, incredible way to be a super spreader, uh, and you you won't know it until it's too late. Yeah, I mean the that's the thing. Disease works. That's the thing to remember is that a lot of people. I mean, that's why we're having so much trouble with this. That there are a lot of asymptomatic carriers of this. Uh, I saw a good piece of advice, which is basically, don't be concerned about getting the disease. We all need to act right now as if we all have it already, and that that exactly. and many of us might. That's that's the way we have to act for at least you know the next couple of weeks until we understand what's going on here because it could be beyond what anyone really understands as far as how far it's spread already. And I think, you know, we've seen with governors and the national Institute of health and even president Trump saying he supported, uh, you know, Apple closing down their stores. He supports businesses uh, who have made the decision to close. So I think uh, this is something that everyone is aligned on at this point. And, you know, if you know, friends who are going out to bars suggest to them that, Hey, let's all do a virtual hangout. Instead, we'll have a few beers together you know, while while we're talking to each other online, we got to just find ways to do things differently for a while. So again, I, I strongly recommend you guys read that article. Please share it if you can. Talk to business owners. Talk to people who uh, who need to hear this in your life. I mean, if we all we have to be more viral in our habits to stay ahead of the virus itself, and that's going to be really difficult. So we got to all uh, really. If you talk to ten people and you can get them to talk to ten people, and that's the biggest thing to me is it's not just doing it yourself. You now have to get other people to do it too, uh, in the most compassionate way that you possibly can. Um, anything else? Did, did I miss anything there? <laughs> anything? I think you pretty much covered it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think uh, 
you know, that I've seen a couple of people say, you, you know, oh, well, this disease isn't going to, shouldn't change the way we live our lives. And, uh, I think that's like that kind of that 9 11 mentality. Um, but you're like, we're fighting a germ now and yeah. you're the bomb. So, yeah. And I think, you know, it's, I would say this to, a lot of us who listen to this, who I think most of the people who listen to this just in terms of demographics are like-minded here. And a lot of times that our normal methods of persuasion, you all know, see this on Twitter, for example, you know, just, oh, okay, we're making fun of people who are still going out or just we're, we're treating these people as monsters or we're sharing an article that, you know, I mean, the ones that are informative are really good, but, you know, sharing a meme that like makes fun of the people who are still going out and, I think that that kind of persuasion is that's kind of what we do with politics. And, and a, a lot of people who, you know, frankly, a lot of people who listen to this are liberal. That's the, the way my politics go. I, I'm not as active politically on Twitter as some people are, but I don't think that that kind of persuasion is what's going to actually resonate with people here. Like it needs to be understanding. It needs to be fact-based and it needs to be personal. Uh, it, it needs to be actually talking to the people in your life that aren't doing this one-on-one, -on -one, not in a public sphere, not in a way that's going to embarrass anyone in a way that acknowledges that you yourself recently came to this conclusion. You recently had this transformation. Um, if you act like, holy shit, this is so obvious and these morons aren't doing it like that doesn't persuade anybody to change their behavior. Like that's not how you get through to people. Um, and so I, I think a lot of people kind of do that when it comes to politics and what, what you're doing there is you are, you may be signaling yourself that you are part of this to your own in group, but that doesn't help at all. Like those are the people who are already doing this. Like you need to reach the out group and you need to reach out to people as opposed to just trying to make the people who are doing this feel like crap. Like that doesn't maybe, maybe two months from now, that kind of social shaming will be fair and will work. But right now we just, like, this is all moving so quickly. It seems like we've all known this for so long, but we've only been here for a matter of days ourselves, and, and we need to be sensitive to that with the people who haven't realized these things yet, and especially people who are still trying to do the right thing by living their lives and keeping their business open for the sake of their employees. And I think we just need to trust that these other people are come at it from the standpoint that these people aren't being selfish monsters who don't give a shit about everyone else. Like they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to live their lives the way they can and try to be compassionate to that as you persuade people. Absolutely. Um, all right. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week. And uh, certainly we are be very open to suggestions for like fun pods that we can do at this point that you guys want to hear any questions that you guys want to ask John. I mean, this is, we're lucky enough to have John's vast repository of knowledge. So we'll be, uh, We'll be mining him for stories uh, about his uh, his grizzlies days, and he'll uh, just sort of try not to say too much <laughs> while I grill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be a fun dance. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have a lot of interesting stuff to get to here, and we hope that you will stay with us, and we hope that you all stay safe. So until next time.